Another exciting episode of the Voluntary Tackle, the only NRL podcast prepared to get wasted on a combination of varnish and paint whilst wax lyricling. Probably not a word about the greatest game of all, rugby league. I'm your host, Eamon Brown, and today on the show I'll be discussing whatever the hell comes into my mind, really. Mainly rugby league, we hope. This is another drunken Voluntary Tackle session, so just relax, draw yourself a bath, Add some magnesium to the water for those aching joints. Maybe burn yourself an ocean-scented candle and enjoy a rather scatological look at the NRL through the mind of a borderline maniac. I'm introducing a new segment, by the way, at the end of this show. It's called Eamon's Outrage. Uh, Just a stream of obscenities about what's been irking me about the game of rugby league, so please hang in for that. Um... What am I drinking today? Well, it's a it's a combination of methylated spirits and um, sort of a light blue spackle undercoat paint. Uh, Wattle is the brand. So you'd be surprised uh, just how potent and delicious Wattle paint could be uh, with just the right kind of varnish. It's um it's I call it a cocktail, I guess. Of sorts. I mean, not one that could be legally sold, obviously, because it. I think technically it's poisonous. But now, another little bit of feedback I received from the last drunken voluntary tackle session was the fact that uh, there wasn't enough rugby league in it. And I apologise for that. Um, there was there's far too much knowledge about my private life, and I'll, I'll certainly try to refrain from that this time. So I'll try to keep it rugby league centric. I guess in terms of the last show that we did, the only major news story that's broken in between now and then has been the threat of player boycotts led by, and this is a major shock, so prepare yourself, led by one Cameron Smith. Now, I know he's not one to be materialistic or bend the rules, but apparently Cameron Smith is leading the entourage of player revolt against the NRL. He's not happy with the 70%. He wants more than that. He wants 80% of his wage. Uh, Because I don't know if you know this. I mean, you're you're a very savvy rugby league uh, listenership. I know that much. But Cameron Smith, he's struggled over the years. You know, his blue chip share portfolio is not doing as well as it once did. So you've got to feel sorry for someone like Cameron Smith. How many premierships is it now? 18, has he won? My heart goes out to Cameron Smith over all of this. I'm very glad he's the head of the snake for uh, the player movement against the NRL. Letting everyone know that, you know, the players need a voice and um, that voice is Cameron Smith's. And um, I, don't, I don't know if you know about this, but this is another thing he was lobbying for. He wants eight additional competition points added to the Melbourne Storm's tally, which I think's fair again. I mean, he's managed to convince Peter Volandis and uh, Clint Newton that that's the best way forward. 
and um, I guess Cameron Smith being Cameron Smith, he's a very persuasive character. You know, the way he framed it suggested that that was the right thing to do. So well done, my friend. Isn't it good to know that Rugby League will finally rid themselves of Cameron Smith somewhere around 2035, 2040? He's a bit like a wartime economic hangover. It doesn't go away straight away. When you think he's retired, when you think it's over, it's not. Uh, but look, I'm, I'm again, I have no uh, rugby league agenda, so I'm simply going to be searching the news with you in real time. Hopefully this is sort of a collective and inclusive experience that we can all enjoy. Um, and look, my first article that I have in front of me um, looks to be from Andrew Johns, who is suggesting that the punishments for Latrell Mitchell, Josh Adokar and Nathan Cleary are too light. John's admitted he's been inundated with questions asking how the punishments handed down to the trio over the COVID-19 breaches stack up against the sanctions the Bulldogs players were hit with. Well, this is an interesting one from the 8th Immortal, isn't it? Because on the one hand, you have a a public health issue uh, where things can spread, things could be quite damaging to the body. And on the other hand, you've got (laughs) COVID-19. Because as we know, Ockenbauer, uh, I'm sure there are many STDs which spread throughout Port Macquarie as a result of that visit. You know, having first grade sports people come into your school is is kind of an honour. Uh, well, for most people, I had Nigel Gaffey, so it wasn't for me. <laughs> I go, aren't you that fringe first grader for the team I like? And he said, yes. But I guess it's important to note the Bulldogs players have had their contracts torn up. Should Mitchell, should Addo Carr, should Nathan Cleary have their contracts torn up over this? Again, I know I asked that rhetorically, but I think I know the answer to that. It's no. They're not the same. Uh, One's an oversight. One is uh, presenting some kind of health risk, and I get it. I understand they're silly. It's stupid. It's, to some degree, life and death. Um, But I don't know, fucking a schoolgirl just seems worse, doesn't it? Um, So, Joey, nice try. I'm going to close that window. I don't agree with you. It looks as though May 28 is going to go ahead. It's it's breaking news tonight, actually. Anastasia Palaszczuk has given the green light officially to the NRL and the the option of doing chartered flights. Uh, beyond Queensland and New South Wales borders. So the NRL looks like it's all systems go. So um, from an NRL fan point, that's fantastic, Uh, which he could be doing it to win an election, let's be honest. And um, as an NRL fan, I'm happy about that. I'm glad she's putting politics before morals because I want footy to happen, to be honest with you. I mean, how funny was this? The, The evolution of this and... You know, what rugby league would look like if it indeed resumed in 2020. And of course, when we first talked about that was in the height of this pandemic where the infection rate was in the 20 percentile. I think it was 25 percent. And it looked as though the world was ending and no one could leave their house. And of course, that's now thankfully down to, I think, less than I think 1.5 to 1 percent, which is fantastic. So the whole sort of goalpost has changed. But of course, we were talking about all these kind of pretty fantastical ideas about how we would resume the competition on in islands. You can go back and listen to 
some of our shows, they almost sound like science fiction now because now we're just thinking, well, we'll just play it as normal, I guess, because the infection rate's so low, we won't have crowds for a while and then they'll come back. How do we feel about Peter Volandis? People keep equating him to some kind of, um, you know, backlane street fighter, some kind of nefarious Jeff Fennick type. Uh, I don't know if that's even a compliment. What I have noticed in in any media that's not favourable to the NRL, which is basically all of it in Australia, barring right-wing media in New South Wales, it appears, they're sort of calling him a like a, an aggressive, polarising figure. I think that's the way they love to express it. Peter Volandis is a polarising figure who um, punches his way and bulldozes his way to an agenda. It's actually a little bit unfair. I haven't seen him really raise his voice. I'm sure he gets aggressive in the boardroom, but, but he has seemed to have got his way, and um, I'm, I'm pretty happy about that. Obviously, Todd Greenberg's gone. Um, we don't know exactly who his full-time replacement's going to be. Andrew Abdo, I mean, before this happened, I didn't know who he was. And I'm a rugby league fan. We're asking the question on the show today, who should be the new NRL CEO? Um, our first choice is obviously Alf Stewart from Home and Away, the one and only legendary Ray Maher. If it was to be Alf Stewart, would he run it uh as his character, or would he be the actor, Raymar? In other words, would he run the NRL from the bait shop of Summer Bay, uh, act all fucking angry about everything? I mean, I haven't watched the show in 15 years. I assume he's still inordinately angry about every social issue, uh, borderline swearing at everyone. Um, that's the way I'd like to see it. In fact, that's not too far away from... Peter Volandi's own disposition, to be honest. Is Peter Volandi's that different from Alf Stewart out of Home and Away? I guess is the question that I very slowly navigated my way to. Um, having thought about it, not really. There's not a huge difference. Now, because uh, last time I was a little bit concerned that it wasn't enough rugby league content in the drunken session, which at the moment does constitute me, uh, I've had a lot of gin this evening and I've mixed that with red wine because I'm trying to go low carb. Can you believe that's my health regimen? Because of that, I've decided to run one poll on Twitter that's rugby league related because I didn't want to be accused of not having enough rugby league content in the show. And the question we asked on the show today was, if you were in a fight with a Razor gang, which NRL player would you like to defend your honour? Would you prefer it was Alan Langer, Ben Elias, Adrian Lamb or Sam Obst? What an eclectic bunch of little men that is. Do you know what that is? It's almost the Charlie's Angels of Oompa Loompas, isn't it? It's just like guys that are about five foot tall. Uh, most of them could fuck you up. I think Ben Elias has connections, to be honest. Allegedly. I'm not inferring anything. Uh, but he probably has underground greengrocers in Leichhardt that could fuck your shit up, is what I'm basically trying to say. Um, and look, we only had 65 votes, so it's not a wide sample. But I can tell you this, there was an overwhelming winner when it came to rugby league little men you'd love to have in your, in your corner. Your odd job 
so to speak, throwing his razor-sharp top hat at the enemy. And it was Ben Elias. So it did sort of fit with what I was saying there. He actually gobbled up 65% of the vote. And that that is in spite of his obvious heart conditions, which he's had over the last couple of years. Alan Langer, to be honest with you, Alan Langer might be the guy that I would have chosen just because I know he just gets the job done in spite of the evidence. I mean, he played an entire rugby league career, was highly successful, um, and yet there's nothing physically about him that would suggest he was ever going to be good at the game of rugby league. But it was just a, you know, it was just an inclination to win. He just wanted to win. He wanted it more than anyone else. Um, Adrian Lamb, you should be ashamed of yourself, 9.2%. Sam Obst, 6.2%. I'm actually, I'm happy. I mean, if you were listening, and you're not going to be, because presumably you're underneath a bridge somewhere begging for change, but if Sam Obst, you are listening, you should congratulate yourself. 6.2%, well done. I mean, you're an obscure halfback that I didn't think anyone would ever remember. And out of those four people, you're easily the shortest. So maybe you have a special skill that I'm not aware of. Just maybe you could shift someone in the guts faster than anyone uh, of your height. So there's your little bit of rugby league, straight into it. So no complaints. Um, let's see if we've got any comments here. Um, Finu, that comes from the Fifi's knees, at danger underscore anger, says Finu. That's all he needed. Didn't need any details surrounding that, just Finu should be my person. Uh, this is another one here from AJ at bottom underscore N said, at Ocar, seemed to miss some of those cans at close range with the shooter. So yeah, this or Big Nelson holding Finu in one hand. Thank you for your contribution, AJ. And for the record, uh, AJ's Twitter avatar is George Costanza in a human body suit. Thank you very much for that. Look, it's a good segue, I guess, to talk about uh, some of the little guys that have played NRL over the years. And look, NRL is, a, you know, everyone knows it's a big man's game, isn't it? I mean, especially these days, uh, the average weight is probably 110 kilograms. There are people who weigh sort of 130, 140 kgs. So if you're someone who's rocking the 70 kg, 80 kg mark, I mean, it's a minor miracle that you run onto the field and you make it off the field again, like breathing. I mean, people talk about, oh, what a hero, or, you know, you're gutsy. But you're more than gutsy. I mean, for me, how are you not leaving the field on a respirator when you, when there's that big a weight differential? People who come to mind would be Corey Thompson for the West Tigers. He's actually a pretty damn good player, isn't he? I mean, occasionally he gets humiliated because they pick him up by the tuft of his hair. A bit like a Nelson Muntzwood, um, you know, a Sherry or Terry. And they, and it you know, sort of gets thrown around a little bit, gets bashed. But for him to keep getting up every now and again, mostly he's out cold, but every now and then he gets up and he tries to run again. And for that, Corey, we thank you. Uh, started out as a plucky winger for the dogs, I believe, and... Um, after a while, people went, ooh, this guy's too anemic to play NRL. Got to get him out of here. What, is he a vegan? Like, why is he, you know, if, if he's into a stiff breeze, he goes backwards. He needs to go to Super League. That's what people said, not me. 
but people said that about him. And so he did. He went off to Super League for a while, and, and he's come back and he's had the, the Corey Thompson renaissance at the West Tigers. Not this year. It's been horrendous. Uh, but last year he's actually played quite well. So I salute you, sir. Uh, I hope you're listening with your little ears. I've got another person that comes to mind, Cody Nikarima. Now, I don't like him as much as Corey Thompson, to be completely honest, because I think if Cody Nikarima, even if he was a big person, even if he was 120 kilos, say he went and visited a witch and asked, oh, can you make me a man, please? And And he suddenly became twice as big. Maybe it's Tom Hanks in the movie Big. He went up to one of those borderline weird skill tester machines and said make me an adult and it went oh, okay and, he, and Cody Nicarima went home and he he slept and he got up and he goes oh my balls have dropped and I'm I'm a fully fledged man now even then I don't think Cody Nicarima should be playing the game of rugby league he just hasn't got it has he he hasn't got the guts that a Corey Thompson would have I've never had a lot of time for him, to be honest, and I don't know if it's related to the fact that his brother, Jaden Nikarima, I believe his name is, played for the Roosters. I don't know, he probably lost us four games in a row before he got fucked off, which was coming off the back of Jackson Hastings, losing us a season in a row, which wasn't fun either. And I guess brings us to another question. We are an innovative podcast, at least we try to be. I don't know if you remember this, uh, we had seven or eight guys who had intellectual disabilities on the show at once. I vacated my chair and I just let them go at it, you know, an act of philanthropy and uh, it didn't go well because they forgot to hit record. But um, I d- we always try to do things that are a little bit different on the show is what I'm saying and I want to vi- put a, a bit of a thought experiment to the listeners today and that is how can we get the little guys into the game a little bit more apart from the fatigue factor which, of course, Peter Sterling can't stop talking about. He loves a good fatigue factor. He loves reducing the interchange. Uh, He's been talking about that since 1983. But what can we do? And look, the first thing that occurs to me is maybe we should be letting people like Nick Arima drive around in moon buggies, not with a really high top speed. I mean, let's not threaten the integrity of the game here. But maybe you let them go at, I don't know, 40, 45 Ks? And just see how they go in it. They're in little mini go-karts. It'd be interesting to see how David Fafita reacts to <laughs> Cody Nicarima driving at him at 45 kilometres an hour. My bet is he takes Cody's head off. And that'll be interesting. That'll be interesting. And then it bursts into flames, you know, faster than Ayrton Senna's car, 94 and then there's a big investigation about should there be more safety around Cody Nicarimas and buggies. And uh, and David Fafita's vilified in the press for killing a man. I don't. I mean, I guess now that I'm talking about it out loud, I don't think it's a good idea. But we don't have to talk about rugby league constantly. We can talk about other things. Kim Jong-un, he's gone missing, hasn't he? People think he's dead. Different. I mean, they're talking about satellite imagery that they can't see any movement. He's a big guy. I think even from space, you'd see him. It's interesting over there because the big rumor is he's died of COVID nineteen, right? Because it's 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 ravaged the country, and because they're this kind of really 
militaristic dictatorship, they can't admit that. Let's face it, it does go over the it does go after the unhealthy. It does go after the diabetic. It does go after people who smoke, who have heart disease, and he is one fat cunt who has all of those. Let's let's not kid ourselves. So he's at a risk factor of about ten to twelve times the average person. Um, so again, I'm a silver linings guy. Coronavirus, pretty bad thing globally. You know, if you could take out the old Kim Jong Un. You know, it has it been worth it? That's an interesting philosophical question for everybody. To be honest, this is definitely a, a more drunken session <laughs> than I'd counted on. It's been a good five or six hours of drinking uh, before firing up the mics. That's not normally the way I roll. It's usually a few hours. Um, so, you know, I'm particularly baked. There's an interesting story coming out of Sweden. Now, they're actually using chicken manure to discourage public gatherings uh, on one of their biggest holidays of the year, which is the Walpurgis, which I'm sure I'm pronouncing correctly. I mean, that's an interesting way to discourage a gathering, isn't it? Just putting chicken shit everywhere. Uh, Manly fans would remember this. They did that historically and very famously in the 90s. They put chicken shit in the Ingol area uh, to prevent their opposition from scoring Weirdly, I don't know if you remember this, Steve Menzies loved rolling in it because he was such a competitor. He didn't want to have anything that would be a disincentive to him scoring. So he'd, he'd learned, he'd conditioned himself to love chicken shit. And, um, I mean, that's what made him the best, didn't it? That and the headgear, which, uh, again, I don't know if this is an urban legend or not, but apparently the headgear doesn't come off. It's actually been surgically implanted into his skull, uh, which would make lovemaking really awkward. Well, maybe not for Steve, but definitely to the woman that he's making love to, because well, you know, this is a lot of headshots. There's no need for it. And we've also got some pretty interesting news coming out of Melbourne. Apparently, Craig Bellamy is banning footy-related social media posts once training resumes on Monday. Now, if Chris Walker's anything to go by, apparently he wrote on Instagram that you better pay attention to Bellamy and you not get on his bad side. Quote, I've been on the wrong side of this fucker and trust me, you don't want him angry at you. He spits everywhere like a camel. I took a raincoat with me one day because I knew I was getting into trouble. Now, I assume this is Chris Walker of the Ben and Shane Walker fame, the, the, the mad walker as I like to call him. Talented, but uh, mad as a meatax. Bellamy's spray at the players over social media was revealed, and apparently he said, there's a few of you guys who are out of control with social media. When you're back on Monday, it's banned. Bellamy promised, if any of you fuck this up for the club, then you'll have me to deal with. Could you imagine? I mean, <laughs> that's a genuinely scary threat, because if anyone who follows rugby league, understands just how tense this man gets in the coaching box. He'd be definitely the type of guy to bring a butcher knife with him and sort of fillet you like a fish. When Bellamy says something, you listen, is what I'm saying. And that's sort of proven to be the rule of his success since 2003. So that's interesting. And I like the fact he talks about social media. It's still as though it's an alien thing. This social media thing. You know, if you get on the fucking Google... I'll fuck you up. 
if you upload lots of your bits to MySpace. Look, I've, I've probably talked enough. I hope you're all doing well. Um, thanks for listening to The Voluntary Tackle. This has been a lot of fun. I'm about to hop on now to a segment called Eamon's Outrage. I hope you enjoy. Uh, it involves uh, rugby league and its relationship to classism and wankers. When did bashing the NRL become the only socially acceptable form of classism in the country? In a world that sees so many people walking on eggshells around the prospect of offending people, I've had to marvel at the ease in which so many public personalities have been able to level nasty-spirited assertions towards an entire group of people. In this case, the rugby league community. In the wake of the NRL's plan to restart on May 28, social media hacks and mainstream journalists alike have pilloried the sport with venomous commentary, slamming the code, its administrators, its players and its fans, strongly implying that anybody involved with the sport and its decision must be inherently moronic. Now, if said commentators were willing to engage in the conversation on the basis of germ theory or public health policy, then no doubt it would have added a valuable contribution to the public narrative. But this hasn't really happened. The NRL's decision to play on at the end of May, now vindicated by uniform green lights granted from state and federal government health authorities, was instead met with a barrage of childish derision and classist rhetoric. What would these NRL dickheads know about science anyway? Here are a few choice tweets gaining traction in the thousands this week. This one comes from the prominent Fairfax cartoonist Kathy Wilcox when referring to the recent social distancing breaches. She tweeted, Isn't the expression bringing the game into disrepute an oxymoron? No, Kathy. You were close, though. You're just the moron. And by the way, your cartoons are poorly drawn and lack objective insight. It's easier to win a Walkley than a Logie these days, it seems. But the real worrying aspect of her comments is that this is a woman who has championed a range of commendable causes in the past, like violence against women and affordable housing. And yet, when the lens of this presumably compassionate view of the world is focused on a game that has grown from the country's working-class roots, we get nothing but spurn, condescension and disdain. Here's another tweet met with much backslapping and wankish wry grins from the followers of veteran journalist Mike Carlton. He said, NRL players are the thickest, stupidest sports people in Australia. Discuss. OK, Mike. I will have a bit of a chat about it since you brought it up, but try not to choke on your expensive Penfolds Bin 95 Shiraz while the battlers are speaking. Imagine for a moment we remove the words NRL players with another eclectic group of people like, let's say, women or the elderly. He would have been deplatformed quicker than a carnivore at a kale festival, but it seems to chastise an entire group of people on the basis of the actions of a few, so long as they support rugby league doesn't only make you immune to such social sanctions, it warrants collective commendation, as though the view somehow has made the world a better place. Well, it hasn't. It's a bigoted view. And bigotry generally makes the world a less inviting place. It makes it less enjoyable. Now, is the NRL filled with constantly law-abiding neurologists? No. 
The sport still has its problems with domestic violence, drug addiction, gambling. Issues we try to excoriate comedically here on the show each week. But the social problems this cohort of privileged commentators would have you believe has been cultivated within the confines of the game is simply not accurate. These are the same issues experienced more prevalently by people in lower socioeconomic brackets. The data's out there for all to see. Rugby league is a mirror for scourges like alcoholism and domestic violence. It's not the author of them. And when you look at the great strides the NRL has taken in recent times to stamp out these problems in the game, it makes this contempt for rugby league and everybody in it even more galling. Penalties are harsher than they've ever been. A great deal of funding has been invested into mental health programs to counsel players suffering from depression and anxiety, a proven precursor to violence and alcoholism. Inclusivity has also been at the forefront of the game's modern direction. Just look at our last campaign push. The message is clear. Come one, come all. So long as you love the game, we want you here too. The game has also been made more inviting for women to enjoy, which is a great thing. And finally, some money invested into the women's game. Now, you'd think these landmark gains would be met with a softening from the elite, but it hasn't. If anything, it seems to have strengthened their resolve. The shoves seem harder now than ever to keep the blue-collared game away from the sophisticated people's dinner parties. This, I'm afraid, ladies and gentlemen, is classism in the raw. And invariably, it's coming from the people who claim to be the most vocal about protecting the country's less fortunate. Left-wing journos, social activists, ABC's Offsider program, Peter Fitzsimons. There seems to be a pattern here. Now, in the interest of full disclosure, I too am left-leaning. I think a country is judged by how well it treats its weakest members. So my message to these brazen NRL bashers is this. Make no mistake. If you're deriding people associated with the NRL for being drunks, criminals and stupid, you're not making some highbrow intellectual point. You know better than a caricatured aristocrat laughing at the poor. Please spread the word around your respective country clubs and croquet tournaments. The NRL is willing to accept your membership now. We do not discriminate on the basis of race, gender, age, sexual orientation or education. We hope you get there one day too. And that's it for another episode of The Voluntary Tackle. Thank you for listening. We'll be back with a normal show very soon. Hopefully the footy will be up and running very soon as well. Uh, we'll be talking about all the on-field action. See you next time.